Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. I'm Ira Jersey. Jason is still globetrotting. So here, making his triumphant return and a guest appearance is from Year That Soccer Show. It's our friend Chris. Chris, thanks for making the time and your busy schedule to come on. (laughs) That's right. I'm back. I'm back, people. I'm excited to be back to League One Fun. Uh, Excited to jump in with you guys, catch up on everything's going on around the league. I haven't been on since uh, since I got uh, I got caught yelling at Connor Antley when they came (laughs) to Greenville, and he came up afterwards and gave me a big hug and talked about how much he loves seeing me on League One Fun. So, uh, Connor, if you're watching, uh, shout out that made my day. Um, But yeah, excited to be back with you, Ira. Yeah, it's awesome, Chris. Thanks. Yeah, so uh, if you don't know, if you watch any of the Greenville Triumph games, look right at midfield where the, the p- pictures are, and you will see a man in a Greenville Triumph jersey, and that man is Chris. Yeah, usually one half I'm up there and one half I'm over on one of the end lines getting some video and some audio for the podcast and for a little project I'm working on. So, uh, yeah, but normally right right midfield so I can uh, I can yell at the fourth official actually uh I, i'm not wearing my jersey anymore i had a special shirt made that's uh triumph blue with green and white writing that says official fifth official so that's my uh that is my title every week at the triumph matches <laughs> that's great so uh, we we have another greenville piece of business that we have to do because chris i don't know if you heard but last week uh my guest host with me with me was ross davenport who is does the color commentary for greenville triumph matches and guess what this past Sunday was? Uh, I'm assuming it was some kind of celebratory occasion. For it him. was. It was Ross's birthday. So happy birthday, Ross. You know, sorry, we. I. it's a little bit belated, uh, but nonetheless, happy birthday. And I appreciate you being on the show. And we'll we'll try to see if the uh, if your uh, if your Bournemouth cherries can get a win for your birthday this coming weekend, Ross. That's for <laughs> that's specifically for you. That's great. So why don't we hit up some USL League One news? So why don't we start with uh, first, the July player of the month was Lansing Ignite's Rafa Mensigan. Um, deserved. I think there were a few other people who might deserve a shout out, Chris. You have you have any one uh, alternative for July who did particularly well? Jake Keegan, uh, maybe with uh, moving up the table there for the Golden Boot Race? Sure. Yeah, no, he, he did a great job. I, I think uh, actually one of the guys that was nominated from Greenville was Tyler Pollock. He's uh, I don't know if I had said this one of the last times I was on this show, but I, I'd been giving Tyler a lot of grief for early in the season for his age kind of show. And, and man, has he shut me up with uh, <laughs> with his play lately. He's really done a, a, a tremendous job, not just uh, on the back line there, but also captaining this team. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Lansing, they've played like 100 games in the last month. So of course, like they're going to have somebody uh, that, that is well-deserved for player of the month. Um, you know, the, the thing I've really enjoyed, especially over the last several weeks, is that a lot of the teams that started to seem like they were pulling away from everybody have kind of come down to earth a little bit. And some of these mid-teams where it's been really tight in the pack, it's getting real scrappy here uh, down the stretch. So that's been really fun. And I think I think the great thing about this league is there's so many players that could be highlighted. But yeah, definitely a a, a big round of applause to Rafa from Lansing. Yeah, for, for sure. And one of the things I, th- I reason, uh, I think that some of the teams that were doing very well early on was we talked about chemistry and about how a lot of these players on Tormenta and TFC2 and North Texas had played together for many years. and They all played in the same system for a long time. I'm actually working on an article for BGN written talking about uh, just this fact that, you know, they had the chemistry, but they're also not used to such a long season. I mean, normally at this point in a, in a season for the academy teams or for um or for college it'd be over right so it, and at this point they are extending their season and into the professional ranks and you know this is a new thing for a lot of these players and teams and i also so that's on the one side where it's that the form kind of has left some of those teams on the other side teams like greenville teams like uh, forward madison teams like lansing teams like chattanooga um, their chemistry has gotten much better because they've just played together more. I mean, most of these 
teams were put together at the even Richmond for, for as as well. Most of the players on those teams had only come together in preseason this year. So as the years progressed, I think you've seen them, you know, kind of build into the games and build into all of this. So, um, so, so look for that on BGN written sometime in in the next uh, week or so. Uh, a couple of signings to talk about. So Greenville, uh, Chris, you want to talk a little bit about JJ Donnelly? I know you uh, you, you you were very happy when you seemed to have plucked uh, 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 plucked JJ out of uh, Tormenta's pocket. Hey, if you can't beat us, join us is my is my motto. And uh, no, look, I've been talking all year, even back to the very beginning of the year, that this team had a very light roster. Um, they they made an addition early on with Max Hemmings once he graduated, but even still, I, I think I'm, if think if I'm not mistaken, this was still the smallest roster in the league. And all I believe it still is. I think this is only their 21st player. Right. Yeah. And so even even with that. Uh, you know, all season it was kind of like we needed this this extra attacking piece. It felt like, and the the irony of it is they've had JJ working out with the team and practicing with the team. He's actually been signed for a while, just waiting league clearance to get that officially announced. But in the midst of that, after they've signed him, it started to seem like the offense started clicking a little bit for Greenville. So it's it's more of a depth piece, I think. Now I'm interested to see him get in uh, and get some match minutes to see how he connects with uh with jake especially now that the team's been running at 442 be nice to have another true striker up there i mean we've had cameron saul uh off and on throughout the season but he he's bad on the injury bug pretty much all season so it'd be be nice to have another piece up there that we can kind of rotate in and out uh but jj yeah had a had a big year for league two side tormented two and, and had a big career there at campbell university so hoping for good things and i'm hoping that this is a piece uh jj because he's so young that maybe this is a piece m- not necessarily for this year but hopefully for next year and years to come that he can kind of grow into this team yeah that makes sense and obviously a lot of teams are looking for the this young talent that maybe they could sell on to a championship team an mls team or even a lower division european side uh, but Tormenta 2 signings were uh, were, were many uh, over the, the past couple of weeks, including another Tormenta 2 signing who went to Tormenta, Jordan Skelton, who uh, he's six foot four, 190 pound defender. He's a native of England. Uh, he's actually uh, he played in Newcastle and he uh, he made All-American for two years in 2017 and 18 at Lander University. So he gra- was a recent graduate as well, played for Tormenta 2 this past season. And once that season ended, uh, has you know signed for the first team basically so this is another uh i think this might be the 13th tormenta 2 signing that the uh that tormenta fc has has made so um you know maybe some other teams are going to do i mean greenville's not quite there yet but presumably uh more of this is to come chris yeah and i think it's a thing where you know especially for tormenta that's something that has worked well for them early on like you said having that chemistry having some of those guys that had played together in years past uh, but hey, look, Greenville can't sign all of your people, Tormenta. You're going to have to sign some of them yourself. So we'll let you have this one. That's great. Uh, I think, no, but, but seriously, I think, uh, I think he's going to be a good piece for them just from the chemistry piece alone. Uh, anytime you can add depth for guys that are in that system already, obviously like Tormenta and Tormenta too, I, mean, I assume that they practice together a lot. And so he's a guy that it's just moving from one one side of the field to the other. And it, it seems like that would be a pretty seamless signing for them. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, so two other quick pieces of news. Firstly, um, so uh, Chattanooga Red Wolves, their stadium has had some issues. Apparently, the uh, their contractor didn't get all the right permits that they needed before they started construction. So they apparently cleared an acre of land and uh, and, and they've gotten scolded. So they have a, a week or so. You know, I, I think this is just a lesson to all of the teams when they're building their own stadium. Just make sure that your contractors get all of their ducks in a row before they, they start construction. I mean, otherwise it, it could be a um, kind of a, a, I don't want to say a red flag, but certainly a, a little bit of a hassle. Well, and I think if I'm in a team like Chattanooga and I know that there are people in the soccer world out there, you know, looking for things to come at me for, I think I'm going to want to be super diligent with things like these. So, you know, hopefully it's a mistake they'll learn from. Hopefully it's a mistake that uh, other teams will learn from as they continue to, as other teams are building. Uh, like you said, not a not a big thing. It's a little bit of a nothing burger, but it is, I think, notable because it's something that that's going on in the league. Yeah. 
And then uh, also there's been some talk, and Chris, I'm going to let you talk about this a little bit, but the Lakeland Tropics from Florida are, you know, talking, making rumblings about having a, a professional side. They they have an indoor side, I think, that that's professional or semi-professional. Um, you know, you know a little bit more about this than me, but, um, you know, do you think that they could be another one for USL League One? Uh, I think it is. I think it's an interesting, uh, thought. I think they're a good team in terms of, uh, geography to add to the league. You know, anytime you can get teams in Florida, I think Florida has a a vibrant soccer culture. So it'd be a great spot, uh, to have that, to have a team, another team down there. And look, Lakeland has a pretty good following even across the country. They're, they're one of these teams that like has got the branding, right? I think they'd fit right in with a, a forward Madison in that sense. Their uh, amateur results have been kind of hit or miss. They've done really well this year, but I think they are a team that's looking. They they remind me a lot of Tormenta coming into the league, a team that had achieved a lot in the uh, semi-pro amateur ranks. So, so ha- just so everyone knows, they play in the UPSL, which is United Premier Soccer League, which uh, actually USL is actually suing over branding rights. <laughs> sure, and they've and and they've they've played in League Two in years past as well, so they do have a connection to the USL system. Um, I think if they're looking to go professional, this would make a lot of sense for them to come to League One. They're talking about building a stadium. I think the the. Now look, there's other there's other professional D3 leagues kind of starting up, but I think USL for a team that's looking to build uh, is maybe a, a place of stability that they might be looking. So it'd be an interesting look. It it may be nothing. It's just kind of some rumblings, but it would I think it'd be an interesting addition for the league. Great. So we get onto some results, Chris. Uh, yeah, let's go for it. I'm uh, especially this first one. I'm fired right. up about it. This is week 20. I, I might let you do this whole one because I'm sure you can just go on for 20 minutes. But on Friday up in Toronto at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, as is their want to do up for TFC2, it was TFC2 scored one goal and the Greenville Triumph three. You had goals in the seventh minute by Dominic Boland, 31st minute by Jake Keegan, 34th minute uh, by uh, Omar Mohammed, and then in the 64th minute, Iowa Akinola gets one back for uh, for TFC two. Chris, why don't you take us through a little bit of this game? What do you think went right, particularly you know very early on for Greenville? Uh, yeah, so Greenville has not been a team that has scored goals in the first half at, at all, really, all season. And they came out in this one and really looked like their hair was on fire. I got to say, TFC, what are we doing with the four o'clock Friday afternoon starts on the East Coast? So like people in other time zones, it's like the middle of the day. This is terrible. This was so hard for me to watch. I, I'm at work. I'm trying to watch the first half at work and trying to zip home so I can catch the second half. We got to fix that. Okay. But the, they, we, we, Jason and I determined <laughs> they need lights in their stadium. It looks like they don't have any lights in their stadium. But they back up to an airport. Surely to goodness, there's enough light, ambient light coming from there. They could, uh, they could at least play some games <laughs> off the airport. Uh, you know, we can fly some planes around. Uh, anyway, yeah, early, a score or early. Um, it, it was a, it was an Omar Muhammad shot actually that ricocheted off the keeper, fell right to the feet of Dominic Boland. He gets his first goal on the season for Greenville. Then in the, the second goal was really, I thought Fillion, the, the keeper for TFC, had a terrible first half in particular. He did not look great. He made a ton of really kind of questionable decisions, but the, the second goal was really a bad one. Just a really poor, I don't know what the decision was there to just roll it out to the center back who, it, it wasn't anywhere near him. He couldn't get to it. Keegan dumps it off to Gomez, who dumps it back off to Keegan and just taps it in. An amazing goal there, and then uh, and then the the third goal was actually my favorite because it started all the way back, almost in the eighteen yard, almost in Greenville's eighteen yard box. Uh, you had Paul Klaus shoot it up to Max Hemmings, who then got it to Carlos Gomez, all the way down the right side of the field, who crossed it into Omar, and he just took a shot from from uh, seemed like a mile away that went in, and then they go in up three nil, which is a spot they've not been in all season. And they come out in the second half a little bit flat. It didn't feel they didn't feel as dominant. I don't know if they let their foot off the gas, and uh, and then you give up a goal there in the 64th minute with Max Hemmings. It's his first time playing as a uh, on the back line, and he kind of I don't know he he gets caught ball watching a little bit, and Akinola kind of sneaks behind him and, and just has an easy one on one with the with Dallas J there. So it was a but I will say for a team like Greenville who is 
kind of hovered down at that seventh and eighth position, and they've been trying to make this push here lately. 12 points, four wins in their last five games. They travel up to Canada. I had said going into the game, hey, I'd be happy taking any points out of here, but it doesn't look like any of the fatigue or any of the travel and going in and out of customs affected them at all. They were able to get a a good road win and a good three points to really help their case as they push towards the playoffs. Yeah, TFC's defense had been good most of the season, and for whatever reason in this match, it it kind of left them, particularly in in the first half. I, I do want to say that after the goal, uh, you know, TFC too has gone down in. Uh, up in Toronto many times this season, actually uh, at least three times this season, and come back to either draw or win. And in this particular game, after the goal, I felt like for the first 10 minutes after that, it was almost like, hey, we can do this. We've got the ball. They really controlled the game. I I do want to talk a little bit about how TFC plays and how they try and score these goals because I think the goal in the 64th minute against you guys, Chris, was – an exemplar of this. They had the ball in in the center of the field, and there was just very quick buildup where uh, where Waja uh, there get, gets the ball right around midfield, gets it to Peruza, who one times it off to Serbly, and then Serbly sees Akinola making a run in, uh, through. So yeah, there was a little bit of questionable defending, but you can't take away from what from the off the ball movement that TFC had because not only did you have Akinola making a run inside, but you had as as soon as he passed the ball, Perusa was on his horse the other way. So the problem was, and, and this is what TFC does so well in the attack, is they made your center back make a choice. Do I go stay with do I stay with Perusa or do I go with Akinola? And you know that what happened there was basically your center back said, I'm gonna stay in between the two because I don't know where the ball's going, winds up making the wrong choice because Akinola just beat him for pace. So I, I do think that, that TFC's dangerous. Luckily, you know, there there were a few chances that uh, you know your um you know between goalkeeping you know Dallas had a had a pretty good game um i would say um as is his usual <laughs> yeah exactly so you know he stopped a one on one Perusa was on him one on one and he's able to to clear the ball out you know so um so so you had good goalkeeping but uh, you know after after that like 10 minute rush the last 15 minutes you guys i uh, you know kind of closed it down there was a really neat play that i, I want to bring up here on the left side if you go watch in the 72nd minute this this is kind of the the moment that greenville took control of the game go back to the 72nd minute Watch the left side. Tyler Polak, Omar Muhammad, and Carlos Gomez basically was doing a rondo around <laughs> <laughs> around two TFC players. And the movement, again, the movement off the ball, they were in the corner. And for about a minute, TFC did not touch the ball. Yeah, and I think that came out of that, like you said, out of that goal um, that TFC scores. I think Greenville, I think that kind of woke them up a little bit. Like I said, they came out a little flat in the second half. That goal woke them up, and I think they realized, hey, look, this is a team that that has the potential to 3-0 three, three and 3-1 is not a big enough lead to just sit back and relax uh, against a team like Toronto. And so it was after that goal, it's almost like, okay, we need to get to possessing the ball, not making these mistakes, not turning the ball over in the midfield and allowing them these opportunities because we feel like as long as we're set on defense and settled – nobody's getting back here and they've been really good at that all year. So I think that that kind of Rondo that possessing the ball, keeping the ball moving was a very intentional resetting of like, okay, let's, let's focus on what we're doing. We don't necessarily need to score more goals, but we need to, we need to control the game. And ultimately it paid off. They, they settled in there towards the end of the match and wound up walking away with three points. Yeah. And you guys ended up with 46% possession, which up in Toronto is not typical of, uh, of a lot of teams. Um, the, the other thing that I would note about just about TFC two in particular is early on in the season they had Mark Schaffelberg and uh, and uh, Endo and the two of them were um, were really key to, to the attack of uh, especially in those those games where they came back three nil and and wound up coming back to draw for example those two were in the game and they are now playing on the first team. So the fact is, this is a developmental squad, and those two guys, you know, they I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, they played against New York Red Bulls up in Toronto in uh, in, in the Red Bulls win. They were they were really good. I wound up actually seeing both of them play against the Red Bulls at Red Bull Arena a week and a half ago when uh, when TFC came down and and actually lost to the Red Bulls. But Schaffelberg looked really 
good at moments, um, but inconsistent. And that's, of course, what you're going to see from young players. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a, a theme going forward with this league, especially with talk of more MLS two sides coming down to join League One. It's it's a good and a bad thing. It's good in the sense that you're getting to see some of these players develop, and when they when they move on and they get these contracts with the senior team, it's it's a huge endorsement for what the league's doing and the role that League One is able to play. But at the same time, it just means that these two B time two slash B teams are pretty much going to have to expect that they may end the season with a completely different team than they start the season with. And so consistency, and I think you're seeing that a little bit with North Texas lately, they're not having as much turnover, but it is a little bit of this, hey, things at the beginning that looked great maybe are tailing off a little bit. We have less consistency with the people that are here because some of them are moving up and moving down and playing at different places, and that becomes an issue. And I think that's going to be more and more a a reality with these uh, MLS-affiliated teams. Great. Well, moving on to our first game on Saturday, this was the uh, match against forward Madison, who hosted the Richmond kickers. The kickers were able to score a single goal against forward Madison, who were not able to score any. This was the first time that Richmond and Madison have uh, met all season. They'll meet again on August the 24th and then again on September the 14th. Um, It was a pretty tight affair. Uh, This is three wins in a row for Richmond. Both sides had their chances. I mean, quite frankly, both uh, both teams uh, probably could have scored a couple of more goals. Um, there were uh, there, there were a number of shots. Uh, it, it, one thing, though, even though there were uh, you had eleven shots on the part of forward Madison, none of them were actually on target. Um, and I'd like to say one other thing. Um, you know, I, I I'm not only saying this because I happen to know him. But Scott Thompson came in in the 60th minute uh, for Mwape, and I think that changed the look quite a lot for um, for Richmond. They had a, a little bit more attack, and also the only constant besides Akira Fitzgerald. Actually, Akira Fitzgerald, this isn't even true anymore because Akira Fitzgerald wasn't in one of their wins. But Scotty Thompson was the only Richmond player to play in all five of uh, Richmond's wins. So just, you know, correlation doesn't mean causation, but I think that's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Um 49th minute, J.C. Banks came really close. I don't know if you saw this uh, I, I this did. Chance, I was Chris. watching this. I was watching it happen, and I, I thought it went in just like – and the craziest part of it is every all the Madison players thought it went in. They were running back to midfield like, hey, this is it. This was a goal. And they went it, They went back, and then when they showed the replay, I could tell that it hit that the, the support beam, I guess, and bounced back, and then it was tapped in by another – Madison guy and I was like, well, why didn't that count? Was he offside? And then I realized, oh, of course, it went out of bounds. It cool. came back in. You can't, you can't play it at that point. So, yeah, that was that was crazy. I mean, the commentator, everybody, literally, I think, except maybe some of the Richmond folks, thought that that was a goal. It was, it was wild. Yeah, Akira Fitzgerald knew it wasn't a goal. I think that was the, the that was the first indication. But this was in the 49th minute. J.C. Banks is taking a free kick from about 25 yards out. It was a screamer of a free kick. I mean, it was moving so fast, and the camera didn't move right. So it was really just your eye. It hit off the it hit off the net support right next to the goal, and then bounced out back into the uh, into the goal box. But you know, it was not a goal, and, and was a goal kick. But it was uh, it was pretty comical. So take a look at that uh, th- that happened in the forty ninth minute. But Daniel Jackson comes on. Daniel Jackson had a problem scoring early in the year for the Richmond Kickers. In the sixty ninth minute, he came on. Uh, uh, he got a goal right after he came on. So he came on for Dennis Chin, who had been playing striker in the sixty six ball. By Thompson, uh, he split two lines with a, with a ball, and it wind up uh, the, the ball was then played by forward Madison's Diaz, who was trying to stop it for the ball from getting to Boldick. But because he touched the ball, the defender touched the ball, the ball bounced to Jackson. Now, Chris, interestingly, Jackson I think was in an offside position, and actually, had Diaz not played it, he would have been called for offside. But because uh, because Diaz did play it, it bounced to Jackson, and Jackson is able to uh, is able to hit it ball with the outside of his right foot after he cleared Saint Clair uh, playing in goal, and uh, you know that was the uh, the lone goal of the game. Yeah, and that's one of those things where you just kind of like you almost face palm yourself. You're like, man, I I should know better than that. <laughs> but and and it's just unfortunate. It's unfortunate because this game was very very tight and I would say it was very even for most of the match. It, it kind of felt like uh like you said both teams could have scored a couple more times than they did. 
ultimately, hey, Richmond, I I had kind of written them off as like, hey, this is Richmond and Orlando City. They're kind of the two teams that are out of it. They're not really they don't really seem to have any hope of, of making a push. And I, I still feel that way about Orlando, but Richmond three, three straight wins now. And they're, they're on a tear. They're looking to try and make a push into the playoffs. And Madison is not an easy place to go in and pick up three points. So congrats to them for that. I think that was a, a good all, all around effort by the team. Yeah. I think, you know, great. Everyone always talks about how good atmosphere, atmosphere board but uh, obviously you know the kickers have a pretty good atmosphere down there too and I, i'm not sure the atmosphere is as big of a deal to some of the uh some of the teams that it is maybe for um for the two teams the other thing that i noticed chris is that richmond has been been a little bit more pragmatic lately and one of the things that um elliot and our friends at uh at river city 93 have noted as well is that they definitely played more defensive and a little bit more counterattacking in this game, although they still had 44% of the ball. So it's not like they had none of the ball. But they, but they were playing a little bit more pragmatic. And and until Scotty Thompson came in, they basically had had five in the back. And, you know, given that they had five in the back, that's, um, you know, that made it hard for uh, for Madison to get much going. And then you put in, you know, fresh legs as a, as a left winger. And, uh, the next thing you know, you know, you had more balls up front and a, a couple of shots on target and you only needed one shot. So, um, and, and just to show this Madison had nine shots from outside the box, nine of their 11 shots were from distance. And, and I think that just shows you how compact the Raven defense was here. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've noticed throughout the league is that the team's, the teams to me that that understand how to play defense first and that the offense will come. I don't think that this is a league that lives and dies by the forward or by the uh, the wingers. I think this is a a, a league that that's going to be won on defensive play, and I think that bodes well for teams like Richmond, who look maybe they don't have a chance to to make the playoffs this year. Maybe they do, uh, but I think it's gonna it's gonna stand the test of time. I think going into next year, you're gonna see a lot more teams focused on defensive play. Yeah, and and I think for Richmond, one of the their issues was really about shape. And now that they have, um, they they figured out that maybe someone like Brandon Troyer can play in the middle. So Brandon had played on the as the right uh, the right back. He's played kind of as a number eight, but now he's playing uh, more of a, a center to pass a, a defensive midfielder in this game, uh, where he can also come back and be part of the back line because he's played center back as well. I mean that's the thing. Like Brandon Troyer is kind of the trying to be the Swiss army knife for this, but I think his best position is just in front of their back line and guarding it. So, you know, he slowed down a lot of Madison attacks. He didn't have a lot of tackles. He only had one tackle, but if you look, he's able to guide the play to one side or another and get it out of the middle. And he also had six clearances on the night. Um, and he also did take a tactical yellow card for, uh, uh, for stopping a promising attack. But you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's part of the game too, is, is being, having the, the, you know, soccer knowledge in order to do that, the soccer IQ in order to take those cards when you have to. Move, moving on to the second game, shall we talk about the uh, South Georgia Tormenta losing once again at home? They lost one, uh, two to one to the Chattanooga Red Wolves. This was uh, eight o'clock on Saturday night. Goals in the 57th minute from Cito Sione, 67th minute from Lucas Coutinho, and the 84th minute from uh, from Soto. You know, Chris. You know, South Georgia. Like we talked about it at the beginning of the show, and you mentioned this, you know, South Georgia was one of the hottest teams for the beginning of the season. They only had one loss through their first, uh, I want to say it was, uh, what, 12 games or so. And, you know, you know they, they haven't had a win now in a couple. So it's second loss in a row. You know, what do they need to do to turn around? Um, You know, I don't I don't know. I It's really kind of been amazing to watch. To me. North Texas and Tormenta, watching the two of them over the last several weeks, uh, you know, North Texas over the last five games, they've got five points. Same with Tormenta, two losses in a row, but five points over the last five games. That's uh, that's not a trend you want to see from teams that have been dom- so dominant throughout the season. Now, it's helped them that they had been so dominant early on that they're both teams are still above the playoff line. But if they continue this this fall, it's the gap is no longer there and the margin of error is no longer there. And it's not going to get any easier uh, for Tormenta going forward. They've got some tough matches coming up. And uh, look, I I don't I don't know what has to happen for them. I think uh, 
I think they've got uh, they've got some scoring pieces. They've got some good defensive pieces, and uh, they've obviously got a goalkeeper in Hara that's very very good and and in the top of the league with uh, with his uh, save percentage. I, I don't really know what it is that that has fallen out of favor with them, um, but I think they're going to want to figure it out fast because it's 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 not going the right direction for them. Yeah, so so Tormenta earlier in the season had played kind of a, a really big good transition game and a lot of counterattack. And I've noticed recently that other teams like Chattanooga have just been sitting back and particularly at uh, South Georgia where they're basically just giving the ball up. So Tormenta had 62% possession in this game. Um, they did uh, they, they did outshoot. Uh, Chattanooga, uh, 16 to 10, and they had more shots on target. They had six shots on target with four. Now, now Hara made a, a couple of really good saves for sure. The, the other thing was, is that in this particular game, in the first half, Connor Antley, who, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, you, you enjoyed, uh, enjoyed That's my boy, game. my boy, Connor, <laughs> um, I, you know, he's been on this show uh, w- with me as well. He was one of the. He was a player of the month, right? He was, he, if memory serves, he was our inaugural player of the month uh, for for the league. He was playing as a number six instead of where he's super dangerous on the right hand side, playing kind of right wing or right wing back. I, I'm not sure I loved him there. I mean, he didn't play badly, but it really took something away from South Georgia's attack. I think. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: what Connor brings is uh, uh, he he plays that that right wing back kind of defensive minded, but also very, very attacking minded. He's going to push up. He's going to look for crosses into the box. He's going to look to assist and set up uh, the likes of Coutinho and some of those other guys down there. But to put him in a role where in that six role, he's having to play more defensively than he typically is. And where, where he's so dangerous is on that counter and his speed and his ability to create chances. And when he's in the middle of the field there, he he reminds me a little bit of a Julian Gressel for Atlanta United, who if you put him in the middle of the field somewhere, whether it's in the midfield or or try to play him more centrally, it really compresses what he's able to do and it, it handcuffs him. And what he's so great at is that wide wing play. Why would you do that? What, he's one of the best players on your team. Why would you handcuff him by putting him in a position that doesn't play to his strengths? So, uh, you know, yeah, I and think, then in this and then in the second half, they put him on the left side where normally he plays in the right as well. So I'm, I'm not sure why they did that, if it's a personnel issue or. Yeah, or the, I just don't I, I don't know what the th- what the thought process is when you've had something that's really been working very, very well. And, and like you say, it may be that, hey, what you give up there or, or what what their coach thinks is what I'm giving up there on the wing he's going to fill a better role here centrally than maybe the other person that would be there. But I don't know. I just think, I think if you're looking at the last several matches, you've got to say, Hey, that's not working. So we need to reconsider this, this uh, repositioning of some of these guys. Yeah. So um, I'd like to go through the goals really quick because you know, the, this, this, was a 1-1 game until the 84th minute, but in in the 57th minute, Cito Sione uh, get, scores the first goal from a, a pass from Tony Walls. Basically, the what what Chattanooga did here was they played very quickly out of the back. Mangles collected a cross and then waited for Chattanooga to get into their shape. The ball goes out right to to Walls, who makes this uh, a line splitting pass like there's this thing called the packing stat and if you're not familiar with it it's basically how many defenders a pass goes through so and this went through at least three maybe four defenders and ends up on the uh um it ends up with Sioni and Sioni turns under pressure from two defenders and he's able to get the ball um uh he's able to make a left-footed shot that was hard and uh, Hara got a hand to it, but wasn't quite enough. And and ball ends up hitting the top netting. Hara maybe could have done a little bit better with his positioning uh, potentially, but, um, but, but Sioni, uh, you know, a lot of this was about Sioni, but the fact is you went from Mangles to Sioni in maybe 20 seconds, 15 seconds. It was a very, very, uh, very quick buildup in, in that particular attack. Um, you know, did, did you, do you have anything to say about this particular goal, Chris? Um, no, I mean, you know, again, this is, this is one of those things where it's Chattanooga. I think a lot of these mid table teams, the, the Chattanoogas, the Greenville's, the Madison's, the Tucson's, 
and they've all they're all they all know i think all of them feel this pressure of like we got to win we've got to get as many points as possible and so a team like chattanooga that that does like to sit back and does like to to play the counter i think they're coming out of that a little bit more and trying to look for more opportunities to score and so you know they they they're obviously finding it when they need to and, and that's uh that's helped proje- project them up into uh, third place. Well, we do get on the second goal to talk a little bit about the uh, the great play of Connor Antley. So, as I mentioned before, Chattanooga let Tormenta have a lot of the ball. Tormenta was building up on the uh, on the left hand side. Connor Antley was playing left wing back at this point in late in the second half, and Antley got the ball on the left touch line. The ball then uh, go goes inside to row Antley then if you, if when you watch this goal watch Antley's movement because an Antley makes a run down the touchline taking a defender with him which leaves a lot of space for Luis Coutinho um, to to run past Mickey Rowe on the uh, on the his his left hand side and the and Rowe is able to find Coutinho Coutinho then cuts inside and takes a right footed shot that goes just inside the far post um, I'm not going to talk a lot about the last goal except that. That uh, Greg Hurst made his debut for um, for the the Red Wolves, and he came up. Uh, he was and uh, he and Soto, who also came in as a sub, both combined for uh, for, for this goal. Um, you know, it was a it was a nice piece of work by by Hurst, who came in for Zagoro, and uh, and both of them connecting for the winner in the uh, 84th minute. Anything else uh, about this game, sir? Uh, no, I think I'm good. All right. So another uh, another game between two second teams, North Texas uh, SC scored one goal. And when they hosted FC Tucson, sorry, Mark, still can't get a goal in North Texas. Uh, But uh, they scored Tucson scored one goal. So they did get a goal. Um, But actually, right before half time see Tucson went up where Jordan Jones scored on a uh, on a pass on a corner kick from Jamil Cox no one picked up Jordan Jones at all he ran from the 18 to the 6 untouched unmolested no one even thought about picking him up and he just had a free header um, that was a nice header but it was a free header that um that that just goes straight in and then in the 79th minute North Texas ties it up Atura Rodriguez uh, is assisted by his brother his brother 100% did not deserve this assist um, the ball came back from Montgomery, who was the center back for uh, North Texas on the night, fires the ball through to David Rodriguez, who tries to settle it in, and, and turn all in the same motion, but actually loses control of the ball. But his brother is already on the run and uh, gets the ball about 25 yards out from goal, finds himself in between two defenders and takes a left-footed shot and uh, that goes into the side netting. Um, Chris, you know, the, these two teams, they both are going to need three points in the next couple of games. Otherwise, you know, they have to be questioning whether or not they can stay at the top of the table. Yeah, I mean, I, if I'm North Texas right now, I'm worried because they've they've not uh, they've not looked great over the last several matches. And they've let teams come into their house and pick up points. And that's something that they had not done at all uh, up until late in the season. I think Greenville was the first team to go down there and get a draw. And then, and then the first team to go down there and get a win, but uh, they've given up points at home, which is something that they don't do. And I think part of it is what we talked about earlier. I think youth is is a part of it, uh, youth development, and and being they're not used to having this length of a season. I think they started hot, but these are all really young guys, particularly for Dallas, and they're they're starting to get to the point where fatigue is causing them to make mistakes, causing them to play sloppy. And, uh, and it's, it's costing them in terms of the, the table and points. But again, North Texas started so hot that they're still sitting in first place despite having a lot of bad results in the last couple of weeks. Tucson, on the other hand, they're, they're a team like, like a Greenville and like a Madison and like a Chattanooga. They need points. They desperately need points if they have any hope of getting into the playoffs. So it's not great for them to go and, uh, and get a draw. Now, granted, you could look at it the other way and say, hey, we went to the number one team and, and picked up a point on the road. So maybe that's helpful, but they've got to start getting some points, too. Yeah, we noticed a couple other things in this game. So one is I think teams have figured Pepe out. Like, uh, So, um, you know, Pepe sure. 
really started strong. And now I think everyone's focused on him and saying, hey, we have to shut this guy down, which I think for North Texas wouldn't be that big of a deal if Ronaldo Damas was also in the match. Cause, but he has the last couple of weeks been out on injury. So he actually came back and subbed into this game. Uh, you know, he didn't score. He had a few good passes, but it, it, you could tell that he hadn't played for a couple of weeks for, for the team. Uh, the other thing I'd say is that, is that quite frankly, what kept FC Tucson in this match was Carlos uh, uh, Murciano. Uh, I mean, he made a couple of really big saves, including a one-on-one where Pepe was in on him one-on-one, and another one where Coleman, um, I, I, Coleman, it wasn't a great shot by Coleman, but Coleman was one-on-one at the top of the 18. He's maybe three or four yards away from uh, uh, from Murciano, and um, you know, Murciano is able to get a hand on it, and uh, uh, instead of instead of Coleman just being able to, to slot it home. So, so shout out to him too. You know, someone who maybe deserves to be on the team of the week actually, um, and uh, we'll talk about that a little later. But um, you know, goalkeeping is really uh, has been a really big thing I think for the teams that have beaten North Texas as well. Well, and I I think goalkeeping has been probably the highlight of this league. I think uh, every keeper that has played for the most part has is phenomenal. Um, and I think that's why, and, and it kind of makes sense because I think you're, you're getting a lot of guys who probably could play at a higher level, but with goalkeeping, you know, typically one guy is going to play every game, every minute of every game for a team, unless they get hurt. So guys are, are coming down to league one, uh, looking for looking for minutes and looking for opportunities to play, and so I, I think that speaks to the quality of keeping at in this league. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, you know, th- I know that uh, that possession is a trash statistic, as uh, Jason will will tell you. And and I'm, I I swear we will be getting those T-shirts made up at some point, maybe in the <laughs> off season. But uh, but uh, North Texas had 67 percent possession, which is also not unusual because FC Tucson tends to play a very counterattacking game. But they had 577 passes with 87 percent passing accuracy. Now, granted, a lot of those were in the back and in the midfield, just keeping possession without a lot of pressure on but nonetheless i mean those are some pretty uh pretty amazing statistics fc tucson had 24 clearances in this game which you know a lot of games don't have 24 clearances so so having 24 clearances by one team was uh was quite quite a lot uh anything else on this one one draw chris no i think that's about it so where do we stand after week 20? We have North Texas still at the top, once again, still below two points per game. This is two weeks in a row. They're at 1.84 points per game. But you have a virtual tie for second through fifth with Tormenta, Chattanooga, Greenville, and Lansing all basically tied. They're all within a uh, kind of a, a half of a point, so a half of a draw uh, between those uh, those three teams. Um, Madison follows them not too far behind at 1.4 points per game, uh, and then Tucson, TFC, Richmond kind of, you know, still have an outside shot, but they'll, all three of those teams will have to go on some pretty amazing runs in order to get above the line. Actually, out of curiosity, Chris, out of uh, FC Tucson, TFC2, and Richmond, wh- which one of those three do you think maybe has the best chance to kind of breach the uh, uh, breach the, the playoff spots? You know, I had Tucson in the playoffs in our preseason picks, um, and I think if if I'm really trying to be as objective as possible, I think that's the team I would probably say has the best chance. But based on recent form, you got to say Richmond, right? Because Richmond's making this charge. The only problem with Richmond is I think they're too far behind already. Um, I think they'd really have to go on a tear. And I think they've got a pretty, pretty solid uh, schedule coming up where they're playing some pretty tough matchups. And so, you know, they got to they got to travel on the road to Richmond again. They got to travel on the road to Tormenta. They're playing Greenville you know, it's they're actually, yeah, they, they're actually playing Tormenta twice. So actually th- those will be really important games for Richmond, right? Yeah, on yeah. the 24th and then in September. So if, if Richmond if Richmond can get six points off of Tormenta and then, you know, basically, basically win a couple of the games against the teams in front of them. It, yeah. They, they, they have, they have a shot. Well, and that's like, you know, last week before going into going into last week, I knew that Greenville had uh, just, 10 matches left in the year and three matches were going to be against Toronto. So I was really interested to see how they were going to play last week. Cause I said like Toronto is going to make or break whether this team goes in the playoffs, depending on how many points they can pick up off that team in particular is my opinion. So getting three points on the road against them, I think was a good boost and, and they're going to play them two more times. So 
look, all these, the, the reality of it is nobody's got an easy schedule because none of these teams are pushovers with the exception of maybe one down in 10th place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that, even that, then, that's right. even they could sneak up and get you. So the reality of it is all of these teams have tough schedules coming up and it's, it's really going to be finite margins between who gets, uh, who gets in and who gets out. So team of the week, the, Congratulations, Chris, on one another one of your players' team of the week this week yeah. with Greenville Triangles Gomez getting the nod. Yeah, and Gomez is a guy who uh, he's always very good and he looks very good in the attack, but uh, getting a couple of assists this week and, and really setting up some of the scoring for Greenville. He's been very interesting to see, you know, the. Coach Hart switched from the four three three to the four four two a while back, and with uh, with our other striker out injured, he's played he's played Carlos Gomez up top with Jake the last couple of weeks, and that seemed to be a really good pairing. And so I'm interested to see, you know, maybe when Cam gets better, what what happens here? We go back to the three man up top, or do we do we slide Carlos back, or does he go to the bench? I don't know, but he's he's been really on fire lately. So other members of the team of the week, uh, the aforementioned FC Tucson uh, goalkeeper Marciano, as well as attacker Jordan Jones, who had that great header uh, for a goal. North Texas defender Almagor, as well as Arturo Rodriguez, Chattanooga attacker Cito Sioni, and defender Tony Walls. Greenville midfielder Boland and striker Jake Keegan, so three Greenville players this week, as well as kickers defender uh, Ivan Maglin. Uh, I always pronounce his name wrong. Um, I even looked at the phonetic spelling. <laughs> um, Maglahays, we'll just call him Ivan, and also midfielder <laughs> Josh Hughes. Who would be on the bench for you for this uh, team of the week this week, Chris? Oh, uh, man. That, uh, that's tough. Um, I think... I think from Greenville, I would probably put uh, I would put Tyler Polak up there again. I think Polak's done a really good job uh, this year, and particularly last week against Toronto of just. But look, he he's been on the team of the week like for a month straight. You can't put him <laughs> on there every week. Um, in terms of other guys around the league. Uh, Man, that's so hard. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. You know, no one from Madison made this team of the week, even though you know it was a one nil. It was a one nil loss. I, I would say actually, some of the midfield for Madison maybe deserves a little bit of a shout. Um, yeah, you know, they they really did not play that badly, even though they, they lost that game. Yeah, that that's that's one of those matches that I think again it, it could have been a draw, and so I think you're right. I think I would have to find somebody from Madison. But the you know the thing about it is team of the week. Somebody's got to really stand out to to make team of the week from a uh, from a team that loses that week. I mean, that's just typically how it rolls, unfortunately. Yeah, but, yeah that's that's fair. Uh, for, for me, though, Richmond kickers maybe deserved uh, someone else. I would put Brandon Troyer on my bench. I think he had a really solid game as that number six, the uh, holding midfielder. Um, he did take a yellow card, uh, but uh, but you know helped helped. Uh, basically stop a lot of promising attacks by forward and uh, and they were able to keep the clean sheet also uh, Mickey Rowe for Tormenta uh, he really I think he sneakily had a really really good game obviously had the assist on uh, on their their winning goal um, but he was he was sneaky good in, in that oh excuse me not their winning goal they're just their goal but he had a sneaky good time uh, in in that particular game too yeah, but again, that's one of those you, you don't get on the team of the week if your team loses. I think that's just, and maybe the maybe the folks at the league don't look at it that way. But it seems like I don't know that we've had anybody on the team of the week from a losing team this year. I could be wrong, but that I, I think generally that doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I think uh, generally speaking, I think that's true. Uh, to preview week 21 on Friday, this time at 7.30. So we actually have a two-team playing not at 4 p.m. Uh, Orlando City B is hosting Lansing Ignite. On Saturday, 7 p.m., Chattanooga Red Wolves will host North Texas SC. Stephen Beattie, the leading scorer for Chattanooga, will be suspended on yellow card accumulation because he took a yellow card in their win down in Tormenta this past week. Uh, the Greenville Triumph will host Forward Madison. Chris, will you be at that game on Saturday? I will be there. Nice. All right. We'll have to look out for you at midfield right behind the fourth official. Uh, we'll look for the fifth official shirt. 
The Richmond Kickers host TFC2, South Georgia Tormenta then host FC Tucson. I'd like to go a little bit into a deep dive preview on the Greenville versus Madison uh, match. So you guys have, have met before. Um what do you think, you know, Greenville, this is an important match because both of these teams are right there in the hunt for the playoff line. You know, Greenville in fourth. Uh, let me remind myself, uh, forward Madison is in is in sixth, but barely. So uh, they will jump you if they win a draw. And obviously you stay above them. What uh, what do you think Greenville needs to do or can do in order to kind of stymie forward Madison's attack, similar to the way Richmond kickers did? Well, one of the things that Greenville did a couple weeks back against, uh, let me see who it was, when they played Tucson at home, Tucson's a team that likes to sit back and play defensively, and so for the first 10 minutes, Greenville really pressed up high, and Carlos Gomez kind of created a goal out of nothing, and then obviously things went off the rails from there because they kind of went away from Here's the thing I'm here's the thing I noticed when we played Madison up in Madison earlier in the season it was a nil-nil draw in the snow. It was a pretty even matchup, but Greenville had the better chances. They had four shots on goal, Madison had no shots on goal. But other than that, statistically it was pretty even. If you look at the season statistics, the one thing that stands out to me is Madison's defending is not as great. They only have three clean sheets on the year, which is second to last in the league. Um, whereas Greenville is first in the league with nine clean sheets. Madison has conceded 23 goals this year. Greenville's only conceded 14, which is the lowest in the league. Um, so I think from that standpoint, you know, Green- Madison scored 27 goals. Greenville scored 20. They're pretty even on that. They're pretty even on shots. They're pretty even on a lot of things. But to me, I think what's going to have to happen, if Greenville can score early, I think if I think if Coach Hartz takes that same strategy of like, Let's high press for 15 minutes. Let's try to get a goal. I think if they get a goal, I think their defense is strong enough to keep Madison off the board. And that's the way that they can get three points. And that is a vital three points at home, in my opinion, if they want to make a push to those playoffs. I think Madison's a team we're going to have to go on the road and play them again this season. So I think playing them at home, it's going to be a raucous environment. In order to get those three points, I think they need to score early and then just play play their play their match. So I would say press high early, get a goal and then go into your regular regular rhythm. And I think on the other side for Madison, Madison has to absorb that pressure a little bit, but their front three really have to combine better than they did against Richmond. I mean, they were kept on taking shots from outside the box. Uh, Richmond's defense was really compact. They have to, I think Madison has to figure out a way to break down that kind of, I don't want to call it bunker defense, but certainly very compact defense. And I think Greenville can do that. You've seen Greenville do that in the past. So that's what Madison has to do if they have any hope against you guys this, uh, this coming week. Yeah. Green, Greenville wants you to take shots from outside the box. We'll let you take shots from outside the box all day, but we're not letting you in the 18 and that's kind of been their MO all season. So yeah, I think if Madison's hoping to get a goal, other than keeping Greenville off the board, which is not unfathomable, but if they want to pick up points here, they're going to have to try and cut in and, and and get good looks inside the 18. Yeah, and, and they have the ability to do that. I mean, certainly J.C. Banks and Paolo Jr. do have the ability, um, both one-on-one and also uh, to strike the ball. You saw that on J.C. Banks' shot, which you know we everyone thought was a goal, like you like you mentioned. Um, no, that's certainly something that uh, that they can do. Now the question is, will they do it? Well, I'll tell you the guy that the guy that makes me the most nervous with Madison is Don Smart. He's the guy that I'm going to be looking at. How are we going to shut him down? I think, if I remember right, he typically plays out there on the right. Which on the right mean, side, that's right. Which would mean uh, Tyler Pollock's going to be out there defending him. That's a good matchup. I'm interested to see how that looks. Uh, but I think he's going to be, he might be the key to, to how uh, Madison, how this matchup goes for Madison. So the thing is, if Tyler Pollock stays on, stays back, though, then he's not as dangerous in the attack, right? Like that's the that's the thing that Coach Harks, I think, will have to game plan for is, you know, do you have Don Smart? On, you have Don Smart on the right, J.C. Banks in the middle, Paolo Jr. on the left. You know, J.C. Banks is more of your, uh, you know, speedy attacker, you know, getting ready. Uh, he's not necessarily as good one-on-one as either Don Smart or Paolo Jr. But, you know, can you guys be as effective in the attack if Tyler Pollock stays back? 
Uh, it depends on who they play, but I think since switching to the four four two, one thing that has helped is that Tyler doesn't have to push up as much because Omar Muhammad goes out there on the left. He is more capable offensively than Tyler is, and Tyler's so strong defensively that he's not having to push up as much. Now, he does. He pushes up a little bit because the team kind of all pushes up, and he helps create uh, link-up play and creates opportunities, but Omar's really the the wide guy up there crossing into the box and creating those chances that maybe Tyler was doing early on the season when they were more in the 4-3-3. But now with the two two lines of four, it seems like Omar's kind of taking that role and it allows Tyler to be a little more defensive, and I think that's going to help. So I'm hoping I'm hoping they come out lined up like that again this week because I think that'll help uh, th- that'll help con- contain some of that Madison offense. Excellent. Let's move on to fan questions. Um, one person asked us two questions this week, Chris. So if you'd help me uh, help me with these, Aaron Green asks. How hard do you think it will be for USL teams in the lower divisions, meaning both uh, League One and League Two? I'm not sure really League Two fit in fits in here to retain talent due to not having promotion relegation. I'm going to take League Two out of this because League Two mm-hmm. is a developmental league. It's only college players. None of them are on professional contracts. But so let's focus on League One, which is kind of our bailiwick anyway. Do you think it's going to be difficult for our guys to, you know, for our teams to keep players and re-sign players to contracts if they're good, like a Tyler Pollock or, you know, Jake Keegan if he keeps up, if he wins the Golden Boot this year, will Greenville be able to re-sign him them to contracts if they don't have, uh, if they don't have built-in, um, if they don't have built-in renewals? Yeah, so I've got kind of a, a roundabout answer on this. Uh, one answer is it depends. It depends on what these guys are looking for. You have some guys. Like I'll just speak uh, about Greenville because that's the team I know the best. You've got some guys like a Tyler Pollock, like a Dallas J, who have played at the USL Championship level. Some of them have even played at the MLS level, but they've come down to League One level to get minutes, to get consistent playing time, to be a part of something where they they can be consistently starting and consistently playing full nineties. And I think for some of those older guys that have had that experience. Um, I think it'll be hit or miss. I think some of them you'll see want to stay around because, hey, this is kind of this is what making a career looks like. And and yeah, I might be able to go and sit on a bench somewhere and maybe make a little bit more money. But I want to. But if you're a player, you want to play. And so I think some of those guys, it'll it'll be easy to hold on to them. Now, guys like a Keegan who's playing over in Ireland and you bring him in and hey, he's lighting it up. And maybe he maybe that puts him on the radar of some of these uh, USL championship teams or MLS teams, then. I think that's kind of what you want, right? Like that's you like if you're if you're a North Texas fan, are you not ecstatic that Pepe is has gotten signed to to uh FC Dallas and, and is gonna get to be a future piece on that team? I think that's what you want as a fan because at this level you get to know these players on a more personal level. So when they go and they go and succeed at a higher level, you feel some ownership in that you feel like a piece of that. Like this is a guy that, that you got to watch play in your hometown and you got to interact with. And now he's kind of making it big. So I I think, I think there's a little bit of both of that, but if you look at the USL championship level, those teams every year turn over probably 60 to 75% of their rosters. And so I think that's going to be a reality here in league one as well, as much as we might love to hang on to some of these guys we developed this love for, I think it's going to be a year to year team and you might retain a few pieces, I think for the most part, there's going to be a lot of turnover. Yeah, I know that a lot of players have team options. So they're one-year contracts, and the team has an option to sign someone for another year. Um, so some of the better players maybe will will be able to hang around on their current salary, and some might have to renegotiate. I, I would say, to your point, Chris, about these players, I watched Tyler Adams grow up. I watched him play for the Red Bulls too. I watched him win a championship with them. I watched him play at Red Bull Arena. I shook his hand because he came down here to Ryder University in Lawrence, uh, Lawrenceville, New Jersey, and did a did a meet and greet. And I got to talk to him for half an hour because all the college kids were like, "Oh my God, I can't talk to this kid because you know he has a national team cap." And you know now this guy is playing for RB Leipzig and he plays for the U.S. national team. And yeah, you know it's you know you do feel that ownership. I agree, and and I I hope that there's a lot of uh, players in USL League One who are able to do that, and I also, but I also hope that there's some players who become kind of franchise players, right? I hope there are some players who are, hey, this is my team, this is my community, I want to play here, and this is the only place I want to play to. Yeah, uh, and I, Aaron, think, yeah. I, I think you'll see some of that. I think you'll have some guys that fall in love with, especially some of these older guys. Like I, I wouldn't be shocked for a Dallas J or a Tyler Pollock 
next year to say, Hey, look, I love being here. I have a, I had a pre-existing relationship with coach Harks, which is what got me here in the first place. I'm getting to play consistent minutes. I'm getting to play for a good team. I just like this area. I could see some of those guys saying like, I want to make this my home. I want to stick around. Yeah. I hope that does happen. Uh, Aaron Green also asked, what is our opinion on uh, things that U- USL, uh, that USL uh, needs to change for our leagues to grow and keep players, fans, and coaches happy? Um, I, I think what some, a lot of the teams are already doing, quite frankly, I, I think that it's not, the USL doesn't have to do this. I think the teams themselves have to. And that's, you know, we talked about this preseason, what would make, a successful season. So some some people on this podcast, I don't think it was you, Chris, but everyone said, oh, you have to, you know, it's play on the field. You have to win. You know, I, I'm not convinced of that. Look what Forward Madison's done. Look what South Georgia Tournament has done. Look what Greenville Triumph has done. Just ingraining themselves in the community. Yes, have an entertaining game of soccer, but winning is not everything either. I mean, but you have to have a great fan experience and part of that fan experience is at least being competitive on the field even if uh even if you're not winning all those games do do you disagree with that chris no i I think the number one thing that i you know i got asked on another podcast about what i think has been the the key thing to help greenville grow to the level it has and i said it's everything that happens not on game day it's the way that they're interacting in the community it's the way that they're getting plugged in and volunteering and and connecting with fans it's the way that fans have fallen in love with them and and they're following each other on social media but if if you want me to say something that the league necessarily needs to change i think it's something that they're already doing and that's just expand they need to add some more teams because as fun as it's been to have 10 teams and to be really tight and every game matters and it really does feel like this thing there is a level to which we're getting to see Every team play every other team at least three times. Some of them play four times. Some of them, like Greenville and South Georgia Tormenta, who played in U.S. Open Cup too, five times. <laughs> I think there's a little bit, th- there can be a little bit of weariness in that. And so, you know, this is something that the league's already doing. But as they continue to expand, I think it's going to get better. Now, I don't want it to go too crazy. Don't give me 40 teams. I don't need 40 teams in the League One. But uh, let's get to 20. You know, if we get to 20, I feel like that'll that'll feel a little bit more... Uh, It'll feel more big time, and I think that'll help hold on to players, fans, and coaches. But really, it's what these teams are doing in the community first and foremost. Yeah, so I, I agree with you as well. I, I think that obviously there is plans to expand. There will be, uh, my guess is, a number of MLS2 teams that come down. But I do hope that at more than half the teams in the league will stay. At, I guess this is the question. What do you need to not necessarily change, but what does, I think, USL need to do? I think USL needs to make sure that the league doesn't become an MLS reserve league, that it's not, you know, that there's not 15 reserve teams and 10, uh, t- 10 independent teams. I think that you have to have at least a majority independent teams in the league in order to kind of make it interesting and make sure that, uh, that, that to really engage fans uh, in, in the experience. So when you see Jake Keegan again, Chris, mention to him that uh, that you appreciate that he calls John Harks the gaffer. Yeah, so. I, will, I will do that. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I hope that, uh, that, that everyone out there knows that Chris is the host of Yeah, That Soccer Show when he finds the time to produce his show. It's, it's got great content about all of the uh, all of the soccer going on in South Carolina, in the upstate of South Carolina. Uh, Chris, g- give your podcast a little bit of uh, love, love here. Yeah, so uh, I, I took a big break. You know, a lot of reason that I stepped out of USL League One is the same reason I took a break from doing uh, Yeah, That Soccer Show. I had a I had a baby. She's five months old today. So things are starting to get a little bit more into rhythm. Um, so I've gotten back on the train of, of putting out a weekly podcast. Uh, normally drops on Wednesday. This week it's going to drop tomorrow night because I'm on here with all of you wonderful people uh, so that you could hear my beautiful voice once again. But uh, yeah, basically we like to look back at the week that was, look ahead to the week that's coming, you know, drop in some news and notes, some quotes. I'm, I'm always at the postgame and press conference to get uh, get Coach Harks a soundbite, and there's normally a player uh, that we get a soundbite from. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fun time. I, I like doing it. I, I hope it's uh, enjoyable for people to listen to. Uh, you can follow the podcast accounts at YTSS podcast, but if you want the real hot takes, you got to come follow me over at youth guy cash on Twitter where I, uh, I put all my mildly spicy soccer takes. 
I'll put that. Uh, I'll put that Twitter um, handle in the show notes. Jason can be found at Home Sweet Soccer on Twitter right now. He's over in Europe. He apparently found a jersey shop with all kinds of discounted jerseys. So I think he'll have at least a few new ones to wear the rest of the season. So when so when Jason comes back and he's evicted because he spent all of his rent money on jerseys, <laughs> you'll know what happened. Yeah, it, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that would, his mom will kick him out or something. I don't know. That's right. That's right. Anyway. Um, I can be found at Ira Jersey, and you can connect with the show on Twitter at League One. That's at League, the number one fun, and we appreciate you listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, and check out bgn.fm for other great soccer podcasts and written content covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL, and much more. Thanks to Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. Soccer. Get your custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Capital Combustion this week had a very long discussion about ProRel. Don't agree with everything. I'll get them. Uh, I'll get to it on Twitter with them. But Chris, thanks very much again for coming on. Hey, anytime, man. I'm, uh, I enjoyed being back. Uh, a little bit of my old stomping grounds, and happy to come back on anytime you guys want me. Well, we both appreciate it. Please support local soccer. Mm-hmm.